Welcome to The Bridge, fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show which connects East and West. My name is Jason. I'm from sunny California, living in beautiful Beijing. Today with me is Alex. Hello, everybody. This is Alex. You're always happy to see Jason's face on the show. I am also in the very beautiful capital city of China, but I'm proudly representing the Northeast, where my family is from. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Today, we have a very special guest. Cyrus Jansen is a geopolitical analyst, investor, speaker, social media influencer with over 1 million fans across the social media platforms. Born in the United States, Cyrus lived abroad for 15 years in China and Canada and enjoys sharing cultural and geopolitical insights from his travel to over 60 countries. Based in Las Vegas, Nevada, Cyrus is the CEO of Fast Forward Marketing, a social media and consulting company helping brands in North America and Asia connect and build profitable social media campaigns. You can find him on YouTube at Cyrus Jansen, that's two S's in Jansen, where he has roughly 300,000 subscribers, or Twitter at the Cyrus Jansen, where he has more than 50,000 followers. Welcome to the bridge, Cyrus. Welcome. What an, what an introduction. Thank you guys so much. I'm, I'm very honored to be here. <laughs> well, we're very, actually, I just saw that you did a TED Talk very recently, and it looks like you may have done TED Talks prior to this ted talk is this your third uh no i've just i've just done one i've just done just just a single single mm. ted talk so it was back in vancouver a couple of years ago actually and so but that one that one really helped me out a lot because it uh, definitely opened a lot of doors and opened a lot for some speaking engagements and and really helped um you know i still get emails today of people you know saying hey i just watched your tiktok or not your tiktok your ted talk and <laughs> i just watched your ted talk and i really enjoyed it so it's 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 been a very uh a very nice thing to do and uh, been very rewarding cyrus you teach golf i think if i understand correctly from watching some videos you came to china to be a golf instructor originally could you tell us about that yeah absolutely so the amazing thing is is my china journey started um, a few years ago now. I mean, in 2006, I was getting ready. I was wow. uh, getting ready to graduate university. I went to school at Florida State University. And at the time, we had a business program and, and you could also major in golf management, professional golf management, as we called it, PGM. And so I got this kind of dual degree. I had a business degree. I had a golf, a professional golf management degree. And what that degree meant is that as I graduated, I would become a PGA professional. And the PGA is essentially like your license to teach golf and work in the industry as a professional. And I had an amazing opportunity to go to Shanghai. And that was my first job after graduating. So two weeks after graduating university, I bought a one-way ticket to Shanghai and I flew there and started my career. And yes, I was teaching golf. It was my first job was I was working at a uh, at a golf academy right there in Shanghai, teaching wow. Chinese Chinese people and you know foreigners that were there. You know, we had a lot of a uh, lot of great foreigners that I taught as well. So you know, growing the game of golf, which is a, is a great passion for us professionals as well. You know, to see the game grow and be healthy. I noticed on your YouTube channel that you have a channel specifically for your golf engagement, and I also just saw you post something today actually about TikTok and how everything on your feed is about golf. Could you talk to us about how golf is 
this a part of your life now? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, what's funny is I always say I, ha- I have really a, a two passions. I mean, one one is China, the other is golf. I mean, those these are the two biggest passions in my life. And that's why I was so honored to go to China to teach golf. I mean, it was really. Oh, wow. That was like was, a perfect dream come yeah, true, huh? It, it really was. And I mean, I didn't know China at the time. I mean, when I first got my job, it was more like, oh, wow, there's an opportunity to go live abroad. Uh, I mean, to go try out a new country. I was very interested in China, learning about it. I wanted to go and learn Chinese specifically. That was a very big goal of mine. And so after living there for 10 years, I I really fell in love with China. I mean, just have a very deep passion for the country, the people, the culture, the language, the food, everything. I I just love China so much. And then, you know, golf is, you know, once you become a professional, uh, I mean, this is kind of in our blood. You know, this is a very big part of who I am. I still play golf every week. I mean, it's still a very big part of my life. Uh, I'm now a father of three children. So I'm very active in teaching them the game and uh, very, very happy to have the opportunity to teach my children this beautiful game. Are we looking at three future world champions? I, I, I mean, I mean, that's the dream. I mean, that's the dream. Let's be honest. I mean, that is that would be that, that would be the dream right there. Big part of our show is bridging east and west, which, you know, you do actually the picture on your YouTube is an American flag and Chinese flag. And uh, I would like to get your impression, especially in the first six months to a year of coming to China as an American. What was that experience like and what would you like people back home in the United States to know about China? Yeah, that's a great question, Jason. I mean, the thing was, is uh, you remember, I mean, this is quite a few years ago now. This is 16 years ago. Um, You know, I went to China in 2007 this was a, a very different uh, kind of China at that time. I mean, this was really um, the beginning part of China's kind of coming out party, you know, really coming out to the world. Uh, the Chinese economy was growing incredibly fast. I mean, China was the the place to be um, at that time. And I think, you know, at the time, I remember I remember taking a job interview, getting the job. And then the, uh, you know, the first thing I did was, all right, I'm going to move to Shanghai. I, you know, go on Google. I look up Shanghai. I see the skyline of Pudong and I see these skyscrapers. I'm like, wow, yeah. looks looks like a big city. I mean, this is going to be exciting. I mean, obviously it's China. A lot of people don't, don't really have any expectations. You know, I kind of just thought, let's just, let's just get over there and experience it. I think that mm-hmm. was a really important uh, value for me to have is, you know, going with an open mind. Cause I didn't, I didn't really know what to expect, but I, I always like to share this story because I remember a couple of, uh, uh, you know, when I was getting ready to leave, my parents threw a party for me, you know, kind of a going away party. And I remember my two neighbors uh, had asked two very funny questions and it really shows you kind of an insight into what most Americans thought. The first question was, uh, wow, Cyrus, you're going to move to China. Um, you know, are you going to have electricity in your apartment, you know, there in Shanghai? And I was like, uh, yeah, I'm like, actually, have a look at this photo of, of the Pudong skyline. <laughs> you know, there's they've got 100 story, you know, buildings there. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're full of electricity. Like, yes, I'll definitely have electricity. Um, and then the second question was even better was it's like, well, you know, Cyrus, that's a uh, that's a long journey. Are you uh, taking a plane or are you going to drive? And I said, um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take, yeah, like, take the plane. I think it's, a, you know, I live in Florida, so I mean, it's even further away. But yeah, it's it's pretty much impossible to drive to China. Um, you know, so <laughs> it just kind of showed you how a lot, I mean, at that time, you know, and God bless those uh, those guys. I mean, they just didn't know, you know, they just don't have a really much of a concept. But that's, that's, I think, what we have to really establish is for most Americans, I mean, they, they just have no concept of China. I mean, they just, yeah. it's, they have no idea what it looks like. 
like. Um, I mean, it, it's just they, they can't even really begin to comprehend what China is, what it's like, what you know, what you know, even people I, when I came back, people were like, oh, are you still an American citizen? Did you give up American <laughs> citizenship? Are you Chinese now? And it's like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I, I'm still an American citizen. You, you know, it's like, oh, how does that work? I'm like, oh, you, you get a work visa. You know, it's just, you know, yeah. this, this concept is very, very strange for the vast majority of Americans. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny how Jason and I have talked about this because Jason is now a gruesome, um, long process to go through, and it's. Yeah. I think we covered this. On the show, I said it's one of the hardest permanent resident status to get in the world. Yeah. And I love how people who don't know just like, oh, you just go there and then you become a Chinese citizen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, that's pretty much impossible. I, I mean, uh, obviously, I do know some I do know um, a couple of people that have acquired Hong Kong citizenship, which is uh, there's a pathway. It's very rare still. I mean, it's not common, but um, I think I don't think anybody could get a Chinese uh, citizenship. That'd be pretty hard. Just but, like uh, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But congratulations, Jason, on being the uh, the Green card now that there. you now that you point that out, that's really interesting. If you get a Hong Kong passport, what happens in 2047? You just automatically become Chinese. Like, oh. yeah, I mean, well, we have yet to see what's going to happen in 2047. It's it works great, you know, the system right now, right? I mean, you know, Hong Kong is a great system for China. It's like, okay, we have we kind of treat Hong Kong as a different. Obviously, it's part of China, but you know, it's different. It has different uh, yeah. regulations and different things. So it's kind of, I wouldn't be surprised if they continue it in some capacity. You do mention, you mentioned that uh, things in Shanghai in 2006 were very different. Like what kind of evolution in China did you witness during your time here? Oh, I mean, you know, I, I, again, I was so blessed to be in China the years that I were because we saw really an incredible transformation. I mean, I began, I arrived in January, 2007 in Shanghai and at that time, right, I mean, China's getting ready to host the Olympics in 2008. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, you know, we're roughly 18 months away from hosting the Olympics in Beijing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at that time, I remember there were four subway lines. Uh, I know maybe it was about six. I think there were six subway lines. I think I think <laughs> I think uh, subway lines five and six had just opened in 2006. So they were relatively new. I'd say they had opened within the first you know, within six months of me arriving there. So kind of the buzz in town was like, Hey, we've had four lines for a while. Now we've got five, (laughs) six. And, and, and by the way, here's the plan. And it's like, yeah, we're going to have, I I think there's got to be close to 25 or 30 lines now in Shanghai. I mean, it's, and I know it Mm. is, I know it is the world's longest in terms of kilometers. Um, It is the world's longest and most comprehensive subway system. Um, and it just connects everywhere. I mean, it's incredible, the subway system in Shanghai. And so, I mean, what we saw, what I saw, I always say it was a great time to get there because um, when we when we arrived, it, you know, we had the Olympics about 18 months after 2010. We had the Shanghai Expo, which was amazing for yes. the city. I mean, that really transformed the city. It developed an entire section of the city that was pretty much underdeveloped into there. They turned that all into amazing housing. The amazing thing with the expo is is most of these expo sites have a tremendous amount of waste after that. And really, Shanghai did a great job in repurposing uh, so many of the, the buildings that were built, these special exhibits. Again, these exhibits, they last for six months. And then what do you do with them? <laughs> a lot of them, uh, you know, they 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 uh they basically took the materials, either recycled them or repurposed them or converted that into some type of housing or museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was an amazing thing for Shanghai. I mean, it, and it really was the theme of that was better city, better life. And you could see the government mm-hmm. and people just saying, like, hey, we need to modernize. We need to bring Shanghai, yeah. you know, make it even better. 
And it was mm-hmm. really an incredible time to be there and witness that. Now, I mean, you go back, coming up on three and a half years since I last visited uh, mm-hmm. Shanghai. It was, mm-hmm. it was September 2019. So it'll be four years, you know, this September wow. was my last time. But I, I remember, um, you know, I lived, I was living in Hong Kong, uh, you know, for many years as well. And I'd, I'd go back from Hong Kong to Shanghai and, you know, I'd been there six months had passed and I'm like, wow, look at all the developments in six <laughs> yeah. months. I mean, there's just such an amazing energy and the way things are built and, and just the cities are expanding. I mean, Shanghai is a world-class city. I would, I would put it in a very elite group of cities, uh, you know, like New York, London, Shanghai, Paris. I mean, it's in the top tier of cities in the world. Very, very long answer, but that, yeah, I'm very passionate about it. Well, certainly with the, the subway apparently has more um, exits than Beijing. And I was, I was reading about this recently, but I was thinking, is that more efficient or less than efficient than Beijing? Sorry, Beijing thing. Yeah, um, we're, yeah. <laughs> we're not trying to make a rivalry, but. Yeah, I'm sorry if, if Shanghai is not as good as Beijing. It is okay. <laughs> oh, a nice little shot there. I know, I know. There's always there's always that rivalry between the Beijing expats and the Shanghai expats well, and the Chinese. It's lovely. Well, right? Shanghai is a very lovely town to visit. <laughs> so you are the CEO of your own company. Can you tell us about your transition into that role, your company's mission? and what what you guys are doing. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, uh, the big big thing that we really focus on is social media. So, I mean, I've, I've been involved in social media really for the, almost the last 10 years. So, I mean, we, we were, you know, when I was working in Hong Kong, uh, we were helping companies out run their social media platforms. So, social media has really been, um, you know, something that I've been very, very passionate about, really enjoy doing. And, you know, so we've been involved in a lot of campaigns. And now we work with a lot of companies uh, really trying to number one thing is really um, advising them in a strategic way. You know, how do you create these social media campaigns that are engaging with your customers that, you know, have the ability to build your brand and really create that value for the customer? Because I've noticed a lot of a lot of companies and we do a lot of work, um, you know, given my golf background, we work, do a lot of we have a lot of clients in the sports industry. And mm. so much of that is, mm. you know, how do we how do we, uh, you know, showcase the value of our brand, but also provide value back to our, you know, our customers and how do we engage, you know, with with these customers? So we do a lot of, uh, you know, strategic outlines for them, you know, kind of, like, you know, the best practices and really kind of a giving you a content map and helping you understand this journey and how to create valuable social media campaigns. In addition to that, we do a lot of a lot of working with influencers, helping companies connect with influencers. And that's something that I'm very passionate as well. I, I do that both on my China channel as well. And also in my golf channel, you know, working with a lot of brands and helping them come up with creative campaigns to to help them tell their stories. So I always say I always like to say we help brands tell their story to the world and really help them get that message out. And, and right now, I mean, marketing in my mind is really social media. I mean, if you're not doing social media marketing and connecting with influencers, mm. it's very, very difficult to kind of do other kinds of marketing. I mean, it's uh, especially for these smaller companies. I mean, if you're like a mm. Coca-Cola or, you know, you have that kind of marketing budget, obviously you can look at some traditional media like mm-hmm. TV commercials or yeah. things like of that nature. But yeah, I mean, so right now so much of it is on social media. And it's exciting. I mean, we live in an amazing time of the world right now in social media. You're listening to The Bridge. I just wanted to, because there are a lot of people. And then um, apart from you, Cyrus, I also know other foreigners who lived in China and who actually started their own business. And again, 
Um, I feel like Jason and I have come to this point where we've basically covered every single topic of expats living in China <laughs> from like their profe yeah. professional life to everything. And so for people who have been living here for a while and they understand kind of the landscape of a business, how business operates here in China, I guess, could you share your initial idea of why you wanted to start a business and just a little, not encouragement per se, but just kind of a little insight on if you want to start a business as a, an expatriate living here, what mm. would you expect and what kind of advice or what mm. kind of information you think they will need firsthand to go about what they wanted to do? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think being an expat in China is an amazing opportunity because I feel that your your career path in China is accelerated much faster than it, it than it is in the Western world. And I, I know, for example, when I when I went to China, I started off as a golf mm. as a golf teacher. So I was basically an entry level golf instructor. Mm. But within two years, I was given an opportunity to become the head golf professional at the number one golf course wow. in China, which was, it's called Shishan uh, International. It's in Shanghai. It's a very prestigious mm. golf club. And, you know, and so at the time I was 25 years old and the head pro at, you know, a top 100 course in the world. Now yeah. there's no way I could have gotten that job in America. I mean, zero chance, you know, there no, mm. no 25 year old is getting a, a job at a prestigious golf club <laughs> at age 25, but because you're in Shanghai, you know, you can leverage things so much better and, and so much bigger, especially being American, being, um, you know, a, a golf professional. Uh, mm. You know, I've had learned Chinese by that point. So I was able to speak and communicate in Mandarin, which was very beneficial for that job so mm. that I was able to really leverage. So I think, that, you know, if you're now, how do we apply that to starting a business? I think, you know, living in China, you have a very unique set of experiences you have a very unique set of um, opportunities. And so I think it's really about learning how to leverage that. And, and, and I think that's where people, you know, I, again, I've, I've, because you're in such a fast paced environment being in, in China, I mm -hmm. think that really helps you out as an entrepreneur. And I think that's in, in you know, and I, and I love about China as well is there's such a hustle culture in China. Yes. And I mean, it's so alive and well, I mean, people are constantly hustling. People are starting side gigs. They are, you know, always really interested <laughs> in, in this. And, and that's something that obviously if you're going to start a business, um, I mean, I, you laugh because there's kind of this famous meme online where it's like, I didn't want to work, you know, a nine <laughs> to five. So I started my own business. Now I work 24 seven, you know, it, yes. it is that, you know, it's a, it's a popular meme, but it's also, uh, you know, when you, when you're a business owner, you, you have more pressure, you have, uh, you know, but, it, but there's also a lot of excitement too. So I, I would say mm. for expatriates that, that want to start their own business, my thing is look at your experience in China, you know, notice your career path. Cause most likely it's accelerated faster in China than it would have back in your home country. And, you know, mm. buy those skills of being able to leverage. I think expats can leverage a lot. And so, you know, leverage that into into something bigger and, and, and then just go for it. I think it's great for people to hear because I've I'm not sure about you, Jason, or even uh, when Cyrus, when you were in China, I don't know if you had this conversation with your friends. They're like, oh, it's great. I have a good job here, but I can never own business. Or like, mm -mm, that's not true. <laughs> yes, you can yeah. have different ways to for make sure. that happen. Well, I don't think I have the uh, the bravery to start my own business that, you know, they say that you have to put yourself out there, put yourself on the line and, you know, you 
there's a lot of risk. And I actually, I don't think I have that inside of me. I've always been happier working for another large, stable organization. No, my career path has also been accelerated by living in China, though. So I, I take what you're saying. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. You've traveled a lot to a lot of different countries. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the places that you've been and maybe one or two stories about the highlights, places or adventures that you had that you would like to share? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think travel traveling has been a very big part of my life because uh, my mother is a German national. So when, mm. you know, I, I, even though I'm originally from Florida, I'm American citizen. You know, I grew up with a, with a European mother. So, you know, at the first at the age of six is when I took my first trip abroad. We went back to Germany oh. to visit my grandparents. And, and and during my childhood years, you know, we would go kind of, you know, every three years or so. So I think, you know, growing up, I made about four or five trips back to Germany, wow. you know, yeah. in the summertime with my parents. And it was a great opportunity for me to be exposed to this entirely new environment and, and going to Germany, you know, starting to learn a new another language, starting to, you know, understand that there's much more to this world than just Florida, you know, or just the United <laughs> States. And and so after I was getting ready to graduate uh, college, actually, from university, I had a I had a gap summer. And so what I did mm -hmm. is I bought a um, bought a, t a ticket to Europe. And I backpacked Europe for a hundred days. Wow! I did a hundred. Like the days movie. Yeah, exactly. And 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 what? And I went to twenty-four countries in a wow. hundred days. So I I, wow. I bought a I bought an unlimited train ticket, which is the best value you can get. I mean, it's unbelievable for students. Uh, you can buy this three-month rail pass that lasts you the whole summer. You basically get unlimited trains. And I traveled everywhere I could that summer and just had an absolute blast. But went to. 24 different countries and and it really changed my life because I was just so addicted to you know learning new experiences and new cultures and that's really what propelled me to say hey I'm getting ready to graduate mm. college I'm I'm not ready to go live in the US I think I want to go abroad and and then you know having traveled in Europe so extensively and then a job opportunity in Shanghai comes open I'm like wow you know I haven't been to Asia yet so let's Let's go to let's go to the Far East. And so I think, you know, some of my my favorite stories, I mean, honestly, I mean, I've, I've been fortunate to travel to probably about 50 cities in China as well. And so I've traveled extensively in China. I've played a lot of golf courses in China. I've, I've, I've mm. traveled extensively. Um, I mean, I've, I've been to some very rural parts in China where, you know, I was the, um, you know, the very tall, blonde haired, blue eyed <laughs> American guy. And, you know, I'd have a hundred Chinese people in the village surround me. And mm. it was the first time they had seen a foreigner and they love speaking <laughs> Chinese. So, I mean, th that's, those are some memories that, you know, will always last forever for a lifetime, you know, very, very, very close memories. Um, I really enjoyed my time in Japan. I thought Japan was was one of the most fascinating cultures in the world um, to observe and to you know to be a part of, and so I've just been you know very blessed to to been able to travel. But I think it's something that I really it's the first thing that I encourage you know any young person that I meet you know anybody that is in high school or university mm. I say you have to make sure that you go abroad and take those risks at a young age because you know if you're 22. You've got a whole world ahead of you. I mean, go for it. You know, go spend a summer abroad. Go spend a summer backpacking. You know, you're going to learn about yourself. You're going to learn about this world we live in. And you're going to have a much better appreciation of your home country 
and your life. And you're going to have some perspective. It's going to help you out for the rest of your life. Alex, is that parallel with your experience? Absolutely. And especially the part that you are going to grow a very different kind of appreciation of your own country and your culture only after you've returned or if you, after you lived in another country. And a lot of people are like, you know, people go overseas and they're going to forget where they come from because the, they like this, they like that. But you really don't get to have an opportunity to look at where this place that you're so used to from a very different perspective. And you're going to have a whole set of ideas of who who you are, what the country is really about. And you don't really you don't get to have that unless you go do travel abroad. Like you didn't know anything about China. Go to China. If, yeah, if my absolutely. yeah, my whole my whole idea was when um, before the pandemic, I went to Serbia. I was talking to, to Jason about this and I went there. I didn't really know that much about the country. All I thought was there's a salsa festival there. There's a Cuban salsa festival in Serbia. And there are people from all over the world going to that salsa festival. Practically nothing could go wrong. <laughs> so bought my ticket. And because it's part of the Belt and Road initiative, I don't need a visa. I don't need to change my phone or whatever. Nice. I, just, I, just, I just went and it was probably up until today still the best vacation that I've ever taken. Nice. Go do nice. that. Go do that. Yeah, you don't have absolutely. to take days off from work when you're a high school student. Go do that. Use your yeah. use your vacation time wisely and learn the world. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. You're listening to the bridge. So you are a social media sensation, Cyrus, and you have more than a million followers across a lot of different platforms. I think for a lot of young people, they are interested in having this kind of success. So could you tell some of our younger or, you know, social media minded folks how you have managed to be so incredibly successful at, on all of these different platforms? Yeah. <laughs> and we're not that young, so do let us know, too. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the uh, you're very kind with your comments. Uh, and, you know, I, th I think it's, um, you know, again, I've, I've had a passion for social media. I enjoy, you know, you know, creating content on the platform. I, I think the I think the key thing is, is you really have to um, find a message that you're very passionate about and really find your purpose on, on social media. And you and I think the key thing right now is being able to, you know, who, identify, you know, who is your target market? And, and again, that kind of this is this is what we talk to with clients when they don't understand social media, because it's like, well, who's your target market? Who are you? You know, what problem are you going to solve You know, for them? Now, that's specifically when we're dealing with clients. Now, for myself, this is kind of an interesting story because, you know, I started a YouTube channel about China more out of a frustration and a passion. You know, I had lived in China for 10 years. I was very frustrated by what I was seeing on the international media stage. And I, I honestly, if you look back at my very first video about China, it's, it's a very interesting video because it's, I'm in, I'm in my office, you know, it's, it's a very poorly recorded video. It's, there's, you know, my clothes are lying on the floor. Like, I mean, it was very much unscripted and it was like five minutes of me basically just ranting um, about, uh, it was actually about LeBron James. And it was funny. It was about LeBron James made some comments about China and the media slammed him on it. And I was like, I remember that, yeah. right. You know, that's not correct. Let me, let me have a rebuttal here. 
And, you know, so the interesting thing is, is, you know, that I posted that video and, you know, I, I got some, some traction on that. And I was like, yeah, you know, like that was kind of fun. I'll, I'll do that again. And it kind of ballooned into, you know, this, this really big thing. So, I mean, the, the funny thing is, is I, I'd never set out with the intention to start a YouTube channel about China. Um, you know, it has really just blossomed into something much, much bigger. Uh, but it's, it's been a great way for me to kind of extend my China journey. Obviously mm -hmm. I'm, I'm back here in North America. I've been back in North America for the last, um, you know, it's my sixth year back now. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's been able to keep me very close to a country that I enjoy and that I love. And it's also important work. I mean, it's, 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 I feel that it's important job. So because I'm, you know, I, I'm so encouraged by, uh, emails that I receive every single week. I mean, I had a, I had a high school professor reach out uh, last week and said, Cyrus, you know, I showed your Ted talk uh, about China to my high school students. They came up with five additional questions they would really like to ask you because Aww. all of them, all of them are learning Chinese. And she, and she said, like, I'm really sorry. They're so no nosy, but can you, you know, like <laughs> if you have time, can you answer these five questions for us? And so I did is I recorded a video for them. I was just like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to make a video for you guys because you guys are awesome. I'm, I'm so encouraged that you are curious about China. You're learning Chinese. And you know what? Let's talk about this. And so, you know, some of the questions were like, how do you learn Chinese? Do you have mm -hmm. any tips for us? What's China really like? What's the hardest part? What's the best part? And that's where I really enjoy speaking with these, the youth of today. And, uh, you know, I've been invited to college campuses to speak about China. I've been invited to, you know, to speak to a lot of kids. And, and there's a lot of young Americans who have a passion for China. And I love it. I, I really feel like it's me passing the torch to them and saying, you know, like, it's your time, like, go to China right now, go live your dream, go there. It's it's an amazing place. You're going to love it. Come to China, find Jason and Alex. Yeah. <laughs> go to Beijing. Well, I was going to ask you, what do you hope to use your uh, social media spectrum on? But it seems like we can tell developing, you know, strong international friendship between nations. Would you characterize that? Is that right? Yeah, I, I would definitely say. I mean, I mean, the, the content that I'm making is, is I'm trying to provide some nuance and some different perspective. I mean, what, a mm. lot of the comments that I receive is many people say, you know, Cyrus, I've, I've never heard of that that before. Or I've never mm. heard that angle or that perspective. I mean, I think when you are following a country as complex as China, it's, it, you know, you know, I don't want you to just say, hey, I'm, I'm going to watch Cyrus Jansen exclusively. He knows everything about China. Mm -hmm. I don't. I think I have a very valuable experience. I think I have a lot of insights that I can offer. Um, but I want you to, you know, there's a lot of other people that are certainly worth listening to. And when you're trying to digest this information, you need a lot of different sources. Mm -hmm. And so I think for my, my content is I really want to help educate more people and have a little bit of different perspective. You know, like right now, for example, I'm, I'm making videos about China's Belt and Road Initiative because mm. number one, it's almost impossible to find anything positive about China's Belt and Road. The only <laughs> thing that we hear in Western media is this is a debt trap. You yeah. know, that's that's the only thing that you hear. Um, but that's Alex, very sad. Oh yeah, but I mean, but I mean, it's it's amazing because like Alex, like you said, like oh, it went to Serbia. You know, they're part of the Belt and Road Initiative. You know, there's certainly been some projects that have done in Serbia that have helped out the local people there. And, you know, I'm not going to just say like, oh, everything that every project in the Belt and Road is amazing and it's a success. Um, I, I mentioned in a previous video, I'm like, hey, you know, if China's investing in 1300 projects, 
there's going to be some failures. You know, not all 1,300 are going to be a smashing success. You're going to have some that will be great, some will fail, some will be mediocre. But overall, I mean, there's there's a tremendous amount of, I think there's a lot of positive things happening. And what I'm encouraged for is, for example, when I did a Belt and Road video on Africa, I cannot tell you, I had dozens upon dozens of, of Africans mm-hmm. email me, hey, I'm from Mozambique. Hey, I'm from Nambia. I'm from South Africa. I'm from Zimbabwe, uh, Nigeria, Angola. You know, I'm from all of these places. I'm so happy for your video because it's exactly what's happening here in Africa. Mm. And that is just so encouraging to hear because people are are learning a, a different perspective of that. Wow. Well, could you tell us about a little bit about the Belt and Road Initiative for people who don't know anything more than it's a debt trap narrative? What is this Belt and Road? Yeah, I mean, it, what's what's fascinating is is that you know we always hear of the ancient Silk Road, which was this mm-hmm. you know trading road from China that really goes through that Xinjiang region. I mean, it's the old Silk Road from the past, and and how everything is traveling from Asia over this Silk Road through the Middle East and into mm-hmm. Europe, and it's essentially the 21st century version of that. So it's an extension of that. You know, in simple terms, it's the world's largest trading organization. There's 149 countries countries around the world that have signed up to participate in the Belt and Road Initiative. I mean, you look at the vast majority of almost every African country has pretty much signed up. Um, You have loads of uh, over half of Latin America signed up, Europe, Asia, Southeast Mm. Asia. What's amazing is, is it's basically China making these strategic investments around the world, whether it's going to be in uh, ports, or airports or roads or bridges or tunnels, you know, really whatever infrastructure projects you need. And it's quite good for China. And let's just be honest, you know, why is China interested in building a new airport in Uganda? What is that for China? The interest there is obviously to increase trade. And, And I always say it in this analogy, you know, the United States, we've been very good in supplying aid to Africa, you know, like we're going to provide you aid, we're going to provide you medical supplies, we're going to provide you food. Fantastic. That's a great thing. The problem with that, though, is that it's it's a short term solution, right? I'm going to give you packs of water to drink. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. We're going to be able to drink water for a week. Then yeah. what? Right. So it's but whereas China is saying, you know what we're going to do? We're going to build you a road. We're going to build you schools. We're going to build you an airport. Now you have a pathway to improve your quality of life. You have a pathway to do trade. And obviously, we hope you do trade with China because we need to improve our economy as well. And also with China, I mean, for example, they're very active in Latin America because Latin America Mm. has a lot of minerals and resources that China needs. So, you know, it's like, hey, we're going to come in and build you some amazing infrastructure projects that are going to help you and you're going to help us out in return and it's a win-win combination. And so that's that's really what it is, is these projects around the world. And just so everybody knows, the amazing thing is, is that it's been going on for 10 years. And we've, we constantly hear this debt trap diplomacy, but China has yet to seize a single asset because somebody has defaulted on a loan. There's not one case in 10 years where China has said, oh, you know what? You've defaulted on this loan. Now that asset is mine you know, and we're taking it over. And now we're taking over your country. There's not a single example of that, that anybody can find. So, you know, that's a really valuable, I mean, very valuable stat that I think needs to be presented. So again, it's just, it's just that perspective, right? It's that nuance that we can hopefully understand China better. 
Hmm. Absolutely. And all it does for me that I am so passionate about it is that it's going to open so many doors for me to travel with no solicitation. <laughs> I could just yeah. go. I could just get on a plane and go. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, for me, I really want to see global development. And I think be, even before BRI, there has been uh, Chinese finance initiatives around the world for decades, really, even reaching back into the 1950s and 60s in Africa. What the Belt and Road Initiative for me has done as codified that made it part of like a central plan to bring these kinds of projects around the world. And, you know, I've actually been doing some investigations as well. And what I found is not all of it's just logistics. There are also a lot of power plants. So there's hydro, a lot of hydropower, solar power, actually not as much solar power, but tons of hydro. And I think China's the king of hydro. In fact, in terms of the debt trap thing, one thing I found that it, China just keeps forgiving loans or restructuring them so that they can be paid off later. And a lot of the loans that, that have been made have been made with either 0% or 2% or 3% interest, which is considerably lower than they're going to get on like an international market or even from the World Bank and things like that. So I'm actually a huge fan of the BRI as well. And I'm glad to hear that you are too. You're listening to The Bridge. A lot of your analysis that you do is uh, business-centric. So you do a lot of geopolitical analysis. I see you all the time, every day on uh, Twitter, for example. But in addition to geopolitics, you're also looking at it through a business angle. Can you tell us a little bit about how that enters into uh, your equation? Yeah, I think I think it really stems back to my time in Shanghai. So when I first went there, um, like I mentioned, I was a golf instructor. Now, the interesting thing is, is I had a very close relationship with the American Chamber of Commerce. And so mm. what happened is, is we had AmCham, as we call Call it, and we had yes. Amcham in Shanghai, and we used to run their golf tournament every year. And and so the amazing thing was is we had I was actively involved in running their golf tournament, which was essentially bringing in all of these American companies that were doing business in Shanghai, which by the way is a ton. So yeah. we had a lot of business coming together every Fourth of July. We had a huge Amcham you know, 4th of July event, you know, to celebrate America's, you know, national holiday. Um, you know, we had, a, and so I just saw so many of these American companies entering into China, building entire staffing units there, you know, bringing in these big expats and building teams, you know, in order to make sure that these companies are successful. So mm -hmm. in one of my very early videos, I just said, let's go ahead and look at the Dow 30. You know, these 30 mm. well-trusted American companies that are, you know, just this backbone of American society, right? You've got the mm. Dow 30, you know, these 30 iconic American companies. And I just went through the list and I just kind of said, well, let's to go ahead and we take away anybody that has exposure to China or is manufacturing in China. So it's like, well, let's look at the first one, Apple. Okay, well, we know that they manufacture in China. Okay, let's look at IBM. Oh, definitely China. All right. And you just kind of go, you go down the list and I'm like, okay, at the end of the day, we've got, uh, you know, it's like, okay, well, we've got Home Depot. All right. Well, Home Depot, they don't have any stores in China. Yes, you're right. But where do all the tools come from? Oh, they're manufactured in China. <laughs> Take them off the list. By the end of the list, you have, uh, you know, 30 for 30 have a, mm. a very large exposure there. So the thing that that's amazing is, is we, we have a very large disconnect in this country where people are mm. saying, 
you know, we need to decouple from China. You know, why don't we shut down every American factory in China? We take all of those factories, we move them back over here to America. And the funny thing is, I always say, hey, that's no problem. But you know what? Um, you know, this iPhone's going to cost you $5,000. Is that okay? Like, are, you want to pay five grand for this iPhone? I mean, because that's, that's what it's going to cost if we're going to manufacture yeah. inside of this country. In addition, you know, let's not forget, there was never... China's government never went to Apple or to IBM or to Nike or to any of these companies and said, hey, you guys should come here. Yeah, you know, like, we, why are you come to China and manufacture, right? It's always the other way around, right? It's American companies saying, yeah, we really can't afford to manufacture in America anymore. <laughs> Let's, let, we better yeah. go somewhere where we can get a good quality product at a great price so that we can make more money and increase our bottom line. So, you know, but I want to be fair because it's it's a two-way street. China has benefited tremendously from this. And, I mean, this is why I always preach that the United States and China's relationship is so interconnected. And so decoupling, honestly, it's it's just – it's such a myth and it's so illogical. I mean, there's just yeah. no way that the United States could – I mean, even if they wanted to, they can't because, you know, it's so entrenched you know, our economies are so entrenched with each other and it's, mm -hmm. and it's really, a, it's a win-win for both countries. And, and this is the amazing thing. I read a stat today on Twitter where, where it said basically that I think even with 25% tariffs, you know, the last few years, the U S China trade is basically, I mean, it hasn't gone down at all, right? 2022 mm -hmm. was the largest amount of trade. So, I mean, we have historical tensions between U S and China. We have tariffs between U S and China but yeah. yet, at the same standpoint, our our two countries are doing more trade than ever before in history. Right? I mean, we can't. I can't, uh, you know, disclose any information on this project. My friend was talking about, but he's he has a company. He has a couple companies here in China, and currently he's striking a deal between his company, a Middle Eastern company, and an American university, where the American university is uh, paying for majority of the budget that for that for that project. And we're yeah. talking about this and he said, you know, people are so focused on like kind of the public is so focused on everything that's being reported on the news. And they're saying China hates America, America hates the Middle East, the Middle East hates China. In reality, the three places are working together more than before. Yeah. And none of that whole news coverage is getting in the way of any of the deals that are being negotiated and being signed at this moment. So yeah. I guess... I guess this is a question for all of us to think about. And if, I think Cyrus and Jason, if you both have any ideas or any tips on how, how do we help or how do we kind of steer people to the direction where you don't think of the China-U.S. relationship or any really bilateral relationship between two countries where you don't really get swayed by political news or these tensions in media. Like how do you, for example, still kind of tell people, hey, you should still know a little bit more about China, even with everything you're believing in the media um, that's mostly negative about this country, like as a, an American person, I guess, how do you approach that conversation on that topic? Yeah, I would say that it really comes down to the, it always comes down to the relationship that you have with people, right? And, and, and that's what I say is because what I want people to understand is like, for example, in this country right now, um, I mean, I, I saw a very disgusting comment from uh, Senator Rick Scott from, the, from Florida, which I'm happy to call him out on because what he said, I think, is just so vile. And honestly, 
Uh, he just, just doesn't represent the values of the United States of America. But he mm-hmm. said every American, you know, must understand that, you know, that China is our enemy right now. <laughs> right. You know, and, and, and actually, you know, actually, hold on, let me just let me actually pull up the quote. I kind of messed that up because it's, it's, you got to kind of get the exact quote. It's it's even yeah. it's, it's actually even worse than that. Yeah, I read it this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you actually nailed it. I think that was it. Yeah. Um, no. So this is what he said. So a couple of days ago, there's a comment from Senator Rick Scott from Florida. And the, it's just shocking what he said. But he said, every American has to say to themselves, China is our enemy. I mean, and this, and this is the quote that is so it is it's very disgusting and honestly it's very dangerous because the problem is is the vast majority of Americans they don't understand a lot about the world, right? Let's just be yeah. honest. Let's call mm-hmm. a spade a spade. The vast majority of Americans they don't travel the world, they don't have a passport, they do not understand. So they're not going to be able to understand the difference between for example, if you don't like the Chinese government or you don't like China or Chinese people, if if this if you want every American has to say to them themselves, China is our enemy. What do you think this person's going to think when they see a Chinese person? Of course, they're going to be, you know, they're going to discriminate or they're going to be angry or they're going to potentially, you know, hate them just because Mm -hmm. of, you know, because they're Chinese. And and this is a very, very dangerous road that we are going down. But the reality is, is if you, you know, I have, I've lived abroad for 15 years and I just relocated back to America last year. And since I've been back, I tell everybody, Hey, I'm, I'm in social media. You know, I make mm. videos about China and mm. I used to live there for 10 years. And every American that I've personally met, there's not a single American that I've met that I cannot sit down and have a conversation with them. And it doesn't matter where they are on the political spectrum. I've sat down mm. with very far left, very far right. And I've been able to tell them unique things about China that they've been like, wow, really? Like, that's what China's like? Oh, that's that's amazing. Like, Cyrus, I, I value your opinion because you used to live in China. Like that's, I didn't know that about China. That's, that's pretty cool. Like that's, that's awesome. So, I mean, cause it's always that thing. If you, if you get a chance to speak to somebody from China or you get to speak to an expat that's lived in China, you're mm. going to have a different perspective, you know? And so the people that really hate China the most are people that have never been there and that have no insights into the country. And, and so, you know, I, I think that's really how we get it is just more, conversations and more connections and really getting to know people on a more personable level. Well, if I get to answer the same question, well, firstly, I agree with everything you're saying. And I would say more Americans need to come back to China. So for the last few years, we've seen a lot of expats draining out of China because they wanted to go home maybe for Christmas, but it was difficult to get back. So they just stayed abroad. I think like what Cyrus was saying earlier, 30 minutes ago, we need to just get as many Americans to come over, have people to people exchanges, come to universities, get, you know, entry level positions. I mean, like also like Cyrus was saying, your career is going to get a a jump. Maybe you come in at an entry level, your management after a couple of years, when you go back home, you're going to have that on your CV, on your, on your, on your resume, on your, in your experience, plus the exposure of living abroad in one of the fastest growing economy, major economies in the entire world. Any, Any Americans who are watching this, please just come over to China. If you need help, let me know. You can email me at the show. We love the bridge at gmail.com. And I will personally help you personally to make sure that you are able to come over and get a a good job or go to the right university for you, because we need more people to people exchanges to make sure that, you know, people aren't becoming sinophobic, xenophobic. There is a a lack of understanding in the United States of what China is really like. And as far 
far as my own personal experience goes, China is a wonderful place. People are really friendly it's the, and it's growing, prosperous, peaceful. I, I just hope that more Americans can learn that for themselves instead of believing talking heads on, on the television who were often misguided. Absolutely. Just to kind of further add on that, I mean, we know we've seen the role of the uh, of media right now. And I, I mean, I honestly believe that our media here, the goal of the media right now is really to divide people and to create. Uh, I mean, and we know this, right? Negativity sells, right? Mm-hmm. Negativity sells. You turn on the news. No one's mm-hmm. going to be like, you know, John had a wonderful day at work today. You know, <laughs> you know, he just celebrated 25 years there and, you know, they had a great party for him. Nobody wants to hear that. You know, it's, it's always going to be <laughs> negative news and and it's and, and negativity really sells. Fear sells yes. through this division. And yes. we see that in the United States. Right. I mean, it's it's you have your you know, you have your left, your right, and they're constantly battling against each other. The media sows this great discontent. I mean, when the, when a nation is divided, you know, then you can manipulate people's opinion. And, mm. and I mean, this is really a very big part of what media is doing right now in this country. So it's, it's where something that I think, Jason, you hit the head on, nail on the head there, right? We need to have more people come over to China. We need more Chinese people to come to America. We need that. That's This is where Definitely. countries get closer, you know, is that interconnection. Alex, since you asked the question, how would you answer your own question? Oh, I have a very short answer. Uh, you and Cyrus work together on bringing more people to China. I'll have the conversation. <laughs> then after that, I'll take them to Hot Pot and they'll fall, fall in love with the country. There you go. <laughs> I guess the last question is something that you already answered, but I'm going to ask it anyway, just because you can maybe expound upon it. For our listeners outside of China, what would you like them to know about how China is really like versus maybe what they've heard in media? Yeah, no, that's a great that's a great question. I mean, this is actually, you know, when I interview guests on my show, I always say I always end the question. Simple thing. I always say you know, what's one thing you want the world to know about China? Mm -hmm. And I've had a lot of interesting answers, but by far my favorite answer of all time was a a gentleman that used to live there for 15 years, a great expat, had a really nice career in China. And he said, you know, Cyrus, what I want people to know about China is that right now in China, there is somebody sitting at a Starbucks uh, drinking a coffee and working on his laptop. Uh, There's a grandmother at home uh, taking care of her children. You know, there's a there's a dad, you know, holding his daughter's hand, walking home from school. You know, there's somebody, you know, working in a factory right now, you know, and, and going to go home and go home for dinner. And th- that's what I want you to know about China. Like, it's honestly, it's really not that different than everything that's going on here in America. I mean, at the end of the day, and this is what I said in my TEDx speech, I said, you know, having lived abroad and, uh, you know, been traveling around the world, we're all chasing the same thing, no matter where you are in life, right? We all value these very important principles in our life, whether it is our family, right? Family's number one, right? We, you know, no matter what culture you come from, uh, I don't know a culture that exists on this planet that doesn't value family, that family's not an important factor in that culture. Um, you know, I, I mean, all of us, we want to you know, if we if we have we get married, we have children, we want to provide for our families, we want to see the next generation be in a better position than we are. You know, so I mean, we're all kind of striving for the same thing. And I think the other thing that I really want people to understand is that we have a very big fear of China's government, uh, you know, here in the United States. And, you know, when you live in China, it's amazing how much that you don't really think about the government. You know, I mean, it's, it's not yeah. like, 
it's not like people, you know, people think like Chinese people, that's all they talk about is like, man, all you must talk about is the communist government. It's like literally nobody talks about the Chinese government. You know, what are we going to do? We're going to go to hot pot. We're going to talk about how amazing the food is. And we're going to talk about being in Beijing because it's such an amazing city and it's awesome. You know, and then, you know, so it's like people are living their lives. You know, it's, it's like, I mean, I particularly don't like talking about the U.S. government. If I have I had <laughs> friends tonight over for dinner. That's the last thing that I'd want to talk about is the United <laughs> States you. government. You know, so it, 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 it's, you know, it's very similar, uh, again, to where you go. I, I don't think Chinese people generally like talking about the government. It's, it's just, you know, we've got other things to talk about, right? Like, like the three of us are going to sit down for hot pot. We're not talking about government, whether that's U.S. or China. We're going to focus on friendship. We're going to focus on on other in, in, in topics. So I think that's really the main message that I want people to, to really understand. And I think that's what Jason and I kept saying on this show as well, that as many differences as there are between different countries and cultures, especially for two cultures that are so kind of diametrically different from each other, there are a lot more things that we really do share as just people. And we would love for more of our listeners to come to the table and understand that and then bring that conversation to their family as well. And I think if you could just have that understanding, then you'll come yeah. to China and you'll be like, okay, I don't like certain food but that's about it. They're human. They walk on, they're bipedal creatures as well. And then they have, they have families, they have their friends yeah. and they're going to fight with their friends as well. When their friends like that guy's <laughs> cute. And then you're like, I don't think he's cute. We're very, we're especially <laughs> a lot more similar than we're willing to oh, admit. hundred percent, hundred percent. And that's why I said, I mean, if you don't travel the world, you're not going to understand that. You're not going to get exactly. that perspective. I really want more people in this country to understand that. And that's that's what I'm passionate about. That's why I share what I do about China. But it's also mm -hmm. why I, I, you know, I, I have a very open policy. I'll talk to anybody about China. And I love chatting with people here in America about it because the vast majority have they have no insights. They don't know anything. Mm -hmm. So it, it's it's always exciting to share a little bit about, you know, China and, and you know, the experiences. And hopefully we can make this world a, a peaceful world. I mean, that's the one thing we need more of, especially right now, you know, is peace. Well, uh, firstly, uh, thank you for joining the show, Cyrus, but also just thank you for what you do. Oh, Absolutely. thank you. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, right. Jason, Alex, thank you so much. I really appreciate you inviting me on All right. the bridge. It's been a pleasure spending time with you. Likewise, we hope to have you back in the future as well. We'd be happy to. Look forward to it. Bye. Bye-bye, everybody.